Back in the late 1800s, there was an evangelistic explosion in the country of India. There were some changes that had happened in their civil government, and there was a, a shift in power, and what happened was is that saw entire Indian provinces that had formerly been closed off to Christianity and closed off to the message of the gospel, that they were now being swept up in a missionary movement that was really unparalleled in that country's history. Hundreds of Christian missionaries from England and Australia and from here in the United States, they began to flood over to India to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And this was significant, particularly in the northern provinces of India. Those provinces had been firmly in the grip of the oppressive, the most oppressive forms of Hinduism for centuries. That was a territory where the caste system was deeply entrenched in that culture, and it is a place where headhunters ruled. It was a savage kind of area. Those provinces often prided themselves on the very hostile reaction that they would give to foreigners. Dozens and dozens of missionaries during those late 1800s were actually martyred during that time. Despite that opposition and despite all of the violence, the gospel was making inroads into a place that formerly had been just completely shut off from Jesus Christ. In the 1880s in particular, a Welsh missionary who had himself endured severe persecutions finally saw his first converts to the gospel of Jesus. In particular, what happened was in a very brutal village known as Assam, that's the province of Assam and in a village in Assam, there was a local man there who obeyed the gospel. His wife obeyed the gospel. His two sons obeyed the gospel. And as a result of their confessing their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, they came up out of that water, and I mean just like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, they were rejoicing. They were on fire. They were excited for the Lord. They were eager to share that message of salvation that they had come to know with all of their neighbors and all of their friends within that village. However, not everyone in that village was so eager to receive that message. Specifically, the village leaders and the chief of that village saw Christianity as a very dangerous threat to their way of life. And so they promptly arrested the man and his entire family. And seeking to make an example out of this man's family, the village leaders demanded that he, as the head of the family, that he renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, he would see his wife and his children executed before his very own eyes. And so after dragging that family out into the middle of the the circle there of the village, out there in public, they then asked him, Do you renounce Christ? And the man replied, I have decided to follow Jesus, and there is no turning back. Enraged at this man's refusal to renounce Christ, the village chief immediately ordered that archers arrow down his two sons. And they were. They were shot right in front of the man. And as his two sons laid there on the ground, writhing in agony and in pain, bleeding to death, the chief then said, Now will you deny Christ? You've lost both of your children. Will you deny Jesus? At which point the man, with tears in his eyes, he replied, The world can be behind me, but the cross is still before me. The village chief was furious at the man's refusal. And so he ordered the man's wife to be shot down as well, and she was in front of his eyes. And In a moment, 
She ended up joining her two children in death. Finally, the chief looked at the man and he asked, Now what will you do? Your wife and your children are gone. You are standing alone. Will you deny Christ? One last time, that man mustered up all of the courage and all of the faith that he had in his body. and He replied, Though no one is here to go with me, still I will follow Jesus. And at that, the man was struck dead on the spot. He followed his family into eternity. Several weeks later, that Welsh missionary who had converted that man and his family, he returned to the village. and He learned of what had happened to him and to his family and how he had refused to deny Christ even in the face of death. That missionary then shared those details, shared that story with an Indian evangelist, a man by the name of Saju Singh. And Singh took those last words of that martyred brother and put those words to traditional Indian music and ended up creating what is considered to be one of the first uniquely Indian hymns. That song immediately became popular amongst churches in the country of India, and it remains a mainstay in that country even to this day. Around the turn of the century then, missionaries started coming back to the States. And as they came back to the States, they brought not only the story of that martyred family in India, but also brought with them that hymn that they had learned in India. Eventually, that hymn landed in the lap of a composer by the name of George Beverly Shea, who arranged the music into a little bit different style, a style that would be more accommodating to U.S. audiences. And it ended up actually becoming the staple of the Billy Graham Crusades during the middle part of the 20th century. And of course, the song that I'm talking about this evening, I hope you know exactly what song I'm talking about this evening. It is song number 280 in your songbook. I have decided to follow Jesus. And that song has stood the test of time here for the better part of almost 150 years now. Now there are several different arrangements of this song. There are some arrangements that have as many as five verses. The version that we have here in our songbook includes three verses. It was arranged by a fellow by the name of William J. Reynolds in 1959. And I'm fine with the three verses that he includes here because they incorporate all three of those statements that that man made so long ago when he was facing death. And this is a case, I believe, where knowing a little bit of the backstory of the song and how this hymn came to be, it actually helps us in a couple of different ways as we sing this song. Number one, it helps us understand why this is such a simple song. You've noticed whenever we sing this song, there's not a lot of complexity to it. There's not a lot of layers of things going on and you've got to pay close attention to all the notes going on. It's a simple song. It was the kind of song that villagers needed to be able to sing from memory. The words are simple, repeating some of those same phrases over and over, just reinforcing the idea of the song. And then number two, knowing the background of the hymn and where those words came from, the reason that provoked those words out of that man's mouth, It helps us, I believe, to understand what this song is really calling for. And I believe what this song is calling for is the very thing that the Lord calls for over and over and over in His Word. What the Lord is calling for is He is calling for commitment. He is calling for a complete and total commitment to Him and to His cause. The Lord wants people, first of all, who will love Him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength people who want to serve Him, and people then who are willing to give themselves entirely to His kingdom and to His Word. We see that all the time when we read in the pages of the Gospels. 
Jesus is hunting around for 12 guys to be His apostles. He finds Peter and Andrew and James and John. And what do those guys do? They drop their nets. They leave exactly what they're doing. They're leaving their life behind to go and follow Jesus. That's commitment, isn't it? We read about other people in the New Testament. Men like John the Baptist or Paul or Stephen who were persecuted for their faith. Some of them even died for their faith, died by the sword. Those are people who were willing to bear the cross. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. They were willing to bear that cross even if it meant death. They were committed. In fact, Jesus regularly spoke of the depth of commitment that He is calling for all people to be. In Luke chapter 14 and in verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate, that is, love less, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Down that very same chapter, he says, whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There is no such thing in the New Testament as a halfway Christian. There's no tolerance at all in the mind of Jesus for part-time disciples. Jesus wants followers who are all in. They're putting all their chips in. They're putting all of their eggs in that one basket that is Jesus the Christ. And in fact, Jesus has warned very specifically about those who would try to get all of the benefits of the kingdom. I'm going to somehow enjoy all the benefits of heaven and the things that are benefits of Christians here on this earth without actually making that kind of full, total commitment. Jesus warned about that. In Luke chapter 9, in verse 57, Jesus has opportunity to talk to three different fellows. The Bible says that as they were going along that road, someone said to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus wanted that guy to think, are you really ready to be committed to me? You know, the life of being a disciple, it may mean you don't even have a place to sleep at night. You don't have a place that you could call a regular home. Are you ready to make that kind of commitment? This continues on to another. He said, follow me. That person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. There's that idea that Jesus was talking about in Luke 14. We need to have some priority here. Yeah, we love our family. We love the Lord even more. That's the number one priority. And he wanted that guy to understand that. Jesus continues on there. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but... Let me first say farewell to those at my house. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I read that passage there and I cannot help but wonder if that man in that village in India all those years ago, I wonder if he was thinking about those verses there. About not looking back once you put your hand to the plow. No turning back. No turning back. The truth of the matter is, whenever a person is truly converted to Christ, whenever you understand the amazing work that God has done to forgive your sins, to wash away all of your sins, when you realize how wonderful it is to be saved, to be a part of the family of God, to get to walk with Jesus each and every day, the truth is, you won't want to turn back. I know that I don't want to turn back. I've been a Christian for 20 years. And the thought of turning back, it's not even a thought in my mind. There is no turning back. Being a Christian is the greatest life that you will ever know. 
But you know what? It all begins with you making the greatest decision that you will ever make. What is that decision? What's the decision this song talks about? I have decided to follow Jesus. As we sing this song tonight, can you make the words of that song your very own? Be able to sing those words with integrity? That Yep, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm actually doing it. I'm following through with that. I want you to understand very clearly that following Jesus, it includes a yes and a no. First of all, it includes saying yes to Jesus, but it also includes saying no to the world, to the things that this world has to offer. And that is a decision that only you can make. I wish that I could make it for you. We've got folks in this room right now who have not yet made that decision, and I wish so much that I could do it for you, but I can't. All we can do, the rest of us, all we can do is teach and plead with you through the words of this song, pray for you and encourage you in every way that we know how. But at the end of the day, you'll have to have the courage and the desire in your own heart to step out on your own and to follow Jesus. Because you've made the decision to do it. What's hindering you tonight from committing your life to Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism? Maybe I ought to ask as well, brother or sister, What is it that maybe is hindering you from 100% devotion and commitment to Jesus Christ every single day of your life? Wherever you stand in that scenario, wherever you stand spiritually, we'd sure love to help you. And that's why this invitation is being offered to you. All you need to do right now is come forward, express your desires, tell us what it is that we can do for you, and we'll do it. We'll do it tonight. If you need to respond to the gospel, would you do that right now? Do it while we stand and while we sing.